I want you to know, my name's Kathy, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, one of my major defects came to the fore as I was sitting back there tonight. I was trying to think, how can I get this podium up high enough I can lean on it? You know, I had to make a change. It wasn't okay the way it was. I had to make a change right off the bat. Um, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I've had a really hard year this year, and um, one of the things that comes to my mind from this year is uh, I think I took a lot of my will and life back, you know, and I've been trying to run the show myself. And this painting job was kind of a sign of it, you know. Um, I got started in it, and it just seemed to build and build and build. And um, another thing I've learned in this program is that um, if I take the hand of someone who knows a little more than I do, they can pull me through an awful lot. And I'll tell you what, we are through. You know, the paint is drying. It is done. And um, two days ago, I was close to being hysterical. So, you know, <laughs> it really helps. I really appreciate, appreciate Myrna's help. Um, I guess uh, what I need to do, first of all, a little bit is uh, identify, tell you a little bit about me. And uh, I was born in southern Colorado in a small town of about 3,000 people. And uh, this isn't bad. I guess I don't need to lean on it. It's going to be all right. Um, uh, I'm the oldest of two. Uh, my mother worked all my life, and so um, I took responsibility really young. I was responsible for a younger brother. And uh, I really was like the parent. And uh, my dad had a lot of problems, and my mom was a good caretaker. You know, she did all the things she needed to do to keep the pieces together. And, uh, you know, um, I had a lot of years when I really blamed them. I really blamed them for the things I felt and the things I had to go through. And it was really wonderful to learn that they did the best job they could and that it was my job to be responsible for me and take care of my life. And uh, today I really love my parents. You know, I did then too. I was just um, angry and that gave me a place to, to put the blame. But uh, today my mom's one of my best friends. You know, I went through a lot of years when... Um, I'd write real short little letters, and I'd go see them once a year. And uh, today we talk every, this year, or now we talk every week. You know, we talk every Sunday, and they're very important people in my life. Um, design for living. The design for living really comes into play when it comes to my family today, you know. Um, my dad is um, moving along the lines of senility. And um, I sent him a plant for Father's Day, and he had the wisdom to know to go in and look at the Father's Day card to find out who sent him the plant, you know. Um, this program teaches me how to live in the life that I have today. It teaches me to live life on life's terms. And that really isn't easy a lot of times, you know. Uh, a lot of things that happen in life aside from alcoholism are not easy, and this program helps me live in those things. Um, Back to my life. Um, I don't really remember a lot of my childhood. I, I remember that, like I say, I did a lot of caretaking of my brother. And I remember that I could not wait to uh, get away from home. I couldn't get away from home fast enough. And so my first year at college, I went a long ways from home. And I had a wonderful great aunt take me. 
and we got to uh, where I was going to go to college, and um, I couldn't wait for her to leave because my life was going to start right then and right there, you know. And uh, that first year at college was one of the hardest years of my life. You know, it was really, really hard. Um, I didn't have a relationship with God. The only thing I really... I remember some um, religious groups that I belonged to in high school where they did a lot of singing. And I remember the singing. But it wasn't... There was no God. And when I had these terrible struggles that first year in college, I did go to church. You know, I tried to find some relief, and that's where I went. And what I ended up doing, um, I found out I couldn't get away from home fast enough, but the other side of that was I wasn't ready to leave home. I needed to go back home and go to a college near my home for the next three years and grow up a little more. You know, I really wasn't ready to leave. I... Um, Graduated from college, and um, like a lot of things I do, you know, um, it's supposed to be a process and not an end result. Well, I went through my college in, in three years and was out teaching before I was 21. And uh, those first couple years on my own were difficult. You know, um, I had this picture of how I thought life was supposed to be, and um, it really wasn't that way. You know, you all looked like you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, and I was falling apart. It was really too hard. And at some point during that time, several points during that time, I sought counseling. And, um, you know, I love it in the book where it says that, you know, counselors, uh, a lot of times psychiatrists and psychologists won't work for us because we don't always tell the truth. We don't tell the whole story. Well, that was me. I told them what I wanted to know, and so they could help me with those things. But there were a lot of deep, dark secrets in me I couldn't share. And so um, there were a lot of things they didn't know. And um, in that time that I was on my own, um, I, I met some neat people. I had some good friends. Um, I'd been on my own about three years, and I interviewed for a job. And the person who gave the interview was the alcoholic that I later married. And I did not get the job, but... Uh, we did start dating right away. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. We had a really good time. He drank a lot, and that was okay with me. I really liked to drink. You know, and that had been a thing that had um, kind of released in me some freedoms that I hadn't known before, and I enjoyed myself, you know. And so for a few years, at least some of that drinking was okay with me. Not all of it, just some of it. And um, we'd... Uh, we probably dated about a year and a half before we got married. And during that time, I went home with him to visit his folks. And it didn't mean anything to me at the time, but he had a dad with many years of sobriety in AA and a mother who went to Al-Anon. And uh, she suggested that I might want to look into Al-Anon. Well, you know, works for me. I mean, I don't need Al-Anon. Why would I want Al-Anon? And it wasn't too long down the line that um, I was trying an Al-Anon meeting. You know, I was, gonna, I was going to see what was happening because I did have some trouble with the drinking. Um, the drinking was continuous. Uh, he didn't, you know, he wasn't mean. He didn't do cruel things. Um, drinking just was a real priority, you know. And we had, I was thinking the other day, um, he'd put the camper on the back of the pickup and take off to the mountains and he was going to think it through, you know. And then he'd bring the pickup back and in the uh, with the camper, and in the process of parking it, it would be cattywampus in the driveway. So, you know, I knew the solution wasn't there. It wasn't that time. But um, we did. We'd gone camping and fishing. He taught me a real love of the outdoors. He was really a good man. He had a horrendous disease. 
And uh, anyway, just before we got married, I had reached a point where I thought I have to get out of this relationship. Well, about that time he broke his neck. And you know, I couldn't leave a man who had a broken neck. So, uh, yep, that's right. So I stayed and uh, we went on from there. And uh, you know, they say alcoholics are exciting. You can see he was probably fairly exciting. He kept moving, kept going. He did a lot of things. One of the things that was real interesting, one of the things that really attracted me to him was he had a good job. Well, I want you to know that job lasted for about a year and a half after I knew him and then we were on the move. And I didn't know that was a pattern of things that I was going to get to live with for years to come. You know, um, had a real interesting thing happen last Monday, or Sunday, I was at a meeting and we read um, Bill's story. And you know, for the first time in my life, I thought, you know, I identify. That's not my story. But I sure lived that life with somebody else. You know, I was right there. I wasn't doing that. I was living in fear. I was trying to change it. But I was living that life. And uh, anyway, I did that. You know, um, I did my whole life around trying to make him different. I enjoyed a lot of time with him. We had a lot of good times. Um, one of the things that came to be a habit in my life was uh, separating for a while. And we hadn't been together too long, and I moved out. Um, one of the things that happened with my separations was that I'd be away for a couple of weeks and I'd think, hey, you know, it wasn't that bad. And so uh, before long, we were working out getting back together again. You know, and that was a pattern in my life. Um, we lived in New Mexico at that time. And uh, my husband had an opportunity to come up here and get what he thought was uh, a job that he really wanted. And he came up here and he talked about this wonderful town with mud streets, right? And uh, it was really raining that year, I guess. I can't remember. But uh, he just really liked it. You're like, this was the land of adventure. It was really neat, you know. And um, I thought, shoot, this is a good thing that he's moving up here because now I have a few months to look at my relationship, you know, see, do I want to do this? Well, he came back to visit and he got off the plane drunk. And uh, it was, you know... I didn't want to live with a drunk, but he was drinking, and that had wasn't too much of a problem to make me say no yet. So I went up and came up to Casper and visited him. And I remember how um, terribly lonely this country seemed to me. You know, I think we drove out towards Rollins, and I tell you, there was just a real fear in me because there's a lot of empty country out there, you know. We had a choice. At that time, Casper was real busy. And we had a choice of a one-bedroom condominium or living about 15 miles toward Midwest out in the middle of nowhere in a trailer. And I thought, oh, my God. But you know what? I was ready for a change from my job, so I came. And I know. So it's, kind of, so it's wonderful, doesn't it? Yeah. We're good people. Um, so I came up here, and I came up here not knowing anyone. And I decided, well, you know, I'm going to take a year off. I'm real tired of what I'm doing. I need a break. And so... Uh, that lasted three weeks because, you know, when you move someplace where you don't know anyone, you don't know anyone. And it was real funny. We were talking today and we were talking about, uh, you know, using silence as a punishment. And my joke was that uh, silence would never be a punishment for me. I can't keep silent. I have to talk. So I had to find a job so I could start mixing with people. And so I was lucky. I did. I found a job. But um, the drinking continued and... Uh, the wonderful things continued, but so did the hard parts of drinking. And there were a lot of hard parts in my life. At that point, um, I hadn't seen the progression of alcoholism 
that I saw later, and I saw it real quickly later. So um, anyway, I was able to get a job, and my husband stayed in that job for a while and went on to other jobs, and uh, he was in construction. And so it was real easy to run out of work, you know, and have companies quit. And it was a time when this part of the country was kind of having, taking a downturn. You know, there really weren't a lot of jobs and things. Well, um, I did my job. I went to my job. I went to my job, and I thought about what my husband was doing. And uh, I couldn't wait to get home at night to see what was going on. And um, I started sort of sending little feeder statements out to everyone I know, you know, um, not really telling them exactly what was going on in my life, but, you know, what would you do in this kind of circumstance, or what do you think about this, or, you know, looking for answers somewhere. And uh, I'd get home at night after work, and, you know, he wouldn't be there, but I'd be there waiting. I wanted to know, you know. I mean, he was out drinking somewhere, but I needed to be there. Um, I finally started coming to Al-Anon again a little bit. I had come a little bit. I had uh, gone to a few meetings. And this was kind of on the sly. I'd go uh, in the mornings. You know, I was sort of attached to the hip. Uh, I was so used to sitting home at night and watching television or, or reading a book that I couldn't get out and do anything else. So uh, I was able to go sometimes, like Saturday mornings. I could go Saturday mornings, you know. Um, I can't remember if I told him what I was doing or I just did it. But anyway, we reached a crisis stage, and, um, you know, I was going to Al-Anon, and I was hearing about people passing out in the lawn, and I was hearing about all these serious things, and I was thinking, hey, you know, those kind of things haven't happened to me yet, or haven't happened to me. You know, they're not in my life. Ours isn't that bad. And um, it started getting worse. And uh, one time around Christmas holidays, uh, we lived in an apartment building, and I came home, and he was passed out in front of the door. And, uh, you know, that was okay. I'd heard that might happen. And I got in there, and I found out later that at a bar they'd taken the keys away from him so he couldn't drive, and he'd hot-wired the truck. You know, and uh, anyway, it wasn't too long after that. I think that was about the first New Year's Eve I spent at an open AA meeting, and it was a wonderful place to be. By the way, I laughed at Jim. I'm a crier, so I'm prepared. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, he decided to go to treatment. I started talking about credit cards and things like that and uh, started putting a pressure on of some sort. And so he decided the easy way out was treatment, you know. And they weren't supposed to have any contact for a period of time while he was in treatment. And I'll be darned if he didn't call me like the next day or so when I thought, shoot, that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, there's a way it's supposed to be and this isn't it. But anyway, he went to treatment, and he came out from treatment thinking that. Now, I'm, you'll notice that I'm talking a lot about his story. Like I say, I relate to Bill's story. I remember his story better than I do mine. I was there. There was a lot of fear. Anyway, um, he came out of treatment thinking he needed to have a job, and he needed to get his family in shape. And he couldn't get a job here. He ended up getting a job in Cheyenne. And so uh, I finally got to detach. I finally got, we got severed at the hip. And so I got to start really going to meetings on a real regular basis. And what I found out, what I knew anyway, is I knew that I'd had an awful lot of problems before I met the alcoholic. And I couldn't see that living with him had caused a lot of problems for me. You know, I thought uh, I had a lot of things wrong with me before I met him, so I can't blame alcoholism. And I started going to meetings, and... Um, I started learning a little bit about the adult children type things, and I found out that 
you know, my dad had always had a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And um, later on, my dad admitted that he had to stop drinking, that he thought he was probably an alcoholic. And um, I um, met uh, some really good people through some of the Al-Anon meetings that I was going to here. And we started a little bit of side group. And I um, asked the lady to kind of sponsor me. And I went through a fourth step with her. And, um, you know, I tried for years to write my fourth step. I get to try all these things on my own, you know. And I tried writing from when I was born. And that got real boring after a while. And I started, uh, you know, I couldn't figure out how to write a fourth step. But I finally took a fourth step to her and she listened. And um, one of the things that had been a real hard part of my life for a long time, in sharing that in the fourth step, I didn't have to have it anymore. You know, um, when I look back on that now, um, that was a spiritual experience. But at the time, you know, I could say, God removed that from me. But uh, I didn't have any fear for God. See, you have to see, I was doing this without a God. I was doing my whole life without a God. And the alcoholic in my life at that time didn't have one either. So anyway, that fourth step did relieve one thing from me that had been just a real hard thing. And I kept going to meetings. And I went to lots of meetings. I went to meetings about every day. And during those two years, every time I saw my husband, he was sober. I only saw him drunk once. And so I would say, you know, I was thinking at the time, you know, maybe he's staying sober. And I had a sponsor at the time would just kind of look at me and say, you know, I don't think that's necessarily so. And so, anyway, the job he was doing in Cheyenne eventually petered out and he came back here. And um, our life took a real fast decline after that. His health went to pot. And um, he started needing um, doctors and so forth. And uh, anyway, they kept telling him that he needed to stop drinking. They said, you're not going to live if you continue drinking like this. Well, you know, um, they would tell him that he wasn't going to live, and then he continued drinking, and he continued living. He was still alive. But anyway, at one point in time, he needed some surgery, and uh, I remember sitting on the lawn. See, I did everything with him. I thought, a good wife does this. You know, um, during a lot of this time, he didn't have a job. And so I was the support. And in my mind, I was always thinking, you know, a good wife does this. Uh, you know, how can I kick him out? He's trying to get a job, you know, and I'd be hearing in meetings, you know, that you shouldn't enable. Um, this went on for, oh, probably, I'm going to say six or seven years. Okay, I was going to meetings regularly. I was working the steps. Anyway, like I say, he needed surgery, and I was sitting out on the lawn waiting for him, and he came out, and he uh, was really angry because the doctors weren't going to do surgery. Uh, his blood was not coagulating right, and they didn't dare. So he took off back to Cheyenne and checked into surgery there. And I, like a good wife, took the bus down, you know, and went through. We, hospitals were a big part of our, um, my story. You know, I was in and out of hospitals a lot. I sat in hospital rooms a lot and watched him and went and ran, ran errands, got what he needed gotten. Anyway, while he was down there, he was at DePaul Hospital, and they tried to get him to uh, admit himself, and he wouldn't do it. And they did everything they could do. And then uh, they had a man 12-step him. And I was sitting there in the car with him on the way back from Cheyenne, you know, and I said, well, you're going to have to look at what you're doing, aren't you now? And he said, and he pretty much told me to shut my mouth and mind my own business. And uh, 
Anyway, that went on for quite a while, and he went through a lot of money, and he had um, a lot of real hard times. And at, at, every time something really bad would go on, you know, I was continually going through the steps. I was continually trying to work the program as best I could, but I didn't have a God. I wanted him to have a God, but I was not able to surrender to that point. And uh, I'd go, and I'd listen, and I'd talk, you know, and I'd um, listen to tapes. Um, anyway, we reached a point where he finally, one winter, had a real bad accident. And, you know, um, during this time, we separated again. I said that was a lot of my story. We must have separated four or five times besides the one separation that we had. And we'd be away from each other for a month or two, and then I'd say, hey, you know, I can live with this. And so he'd move back in again, and we'd live together again. And uh, one time when he was separated, you know, you know, it's just... If you, if you know active alcoholism, you know it was hard. And we all have those hard stories. Anyway, um, one year, right after the first of the year, he came home and it was late and it was winter. And I, he'd slipped on the way in. He said, hey, you know, I think I uh, broke my leg. And I'd say, do you want to go to the emergency room? And he said, no, I think it's all right. And, you know, I mean, shoot, I don't know where reality comes in in this. I don't know. You know, I really don't. My reality was... I could say, watching Bill's story. I just kind of watched it all happen and did what was in front of me, but I was never quite there. Anyway, in the middle of the night, I decided I had to go to the emergency room. And uh, that broken leg entailed staying in the hospital over three weeks because his blood wouldn't do anything right and his leg started blistering. And uh, anyway, I told myself at that time, I said, you know, if he comes out of this and he starts drinking again, I'm getting out. I'm going to get that divorce that I keep talking about. And so he did. He came out and he started drinking again, and um, I got a divorce. And, you know, that year was the hardest year of my life, one of them. You know, I was used to the way I'd been living before. This year was different. And uh, he moved. He left town. And I uh, really had to work that program for me. And um, had to trust that there was a God and that he knew what was best, whatever that was. And... Um, Anyway, about Thanksgiving time that year, um, my husband came through town and he uh, wanted to pick up all his guns and things he needed to sell them because he was going back east to stay with his son. My husband had a son and a daughter, and we'd had minimal contact with them over the years. You know, when we first had gotten married, I would have them over and things like that, playing the, quote, stepwife that I'd seen on television, you know. And that lasted for a little while, and then we moved away, and he didn't care if there was any contact, so that was fine with me. You know, I didn't have anything to say anyway. And uh, anyway, he came through and he sold his guns. And he had a wonderful collection of guns. And because he needed money so badly, he sold them for nothing. And um, anyway, he made it back east. He made it to Washington. Uh, during that, the next four months, I worked my program real hard. I realized some interesting things. I remember sitting one Sunday afternoon and just being absolutely stir-crazy, just really uncomfortable and bored. And, you know, I got to looking and everything was okay in my life. Why am I feeling so bad? And I called my sponsor's house at that point, and I got her husband, and he says, uh, get out and do something, you know. Um, it's okay. I'm bored sometimes, you know, what the heck. But what I realized for me is, you know, I had never identified with martyr. I had never identified with feeling sorry for myself and finding a great deal of comfort in worrying and pain. And that's what I did. You know, I had a tremendous amount of comfort in worrying. If I didn't have something to worry about, you know, that was a new thing for me, I, you know. And I was used to having it be someone else and their alcoholism. And here I was all by myself feeling those same feelings. 
Anyway, um, I got a call from uh, his son and from him, and he was in the hospital, and he was dying. And so um, I flew back east to see him. And what they did is they um, replaced all the platelets, replaced all the blood, and um, they he got on a plane. It was real interesting. Um, he'd had a car accident while he was out there, and the insurance paid off, and that gave him enough money to fly back, right? But the interesting thing was it turned out that for some reason or other it shouldn't have been paid off. So after it was all said and done, the insurance company wanted the money back, right? But he came back here, and uh, a friend came with me, and we met him at the airport. And he was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk. And uh, we got him to the apartment, and uh, he lived a week, and then he died. And, you know, it was kind of interesting, too, because I knew uh, there weren't going to be any doctors here that would help him. And I was really afraid. What are you going to do for a doctor? You know? And at the time, there was someone in the program that was able to help us, you guys. And it was really a wonderful thing. You know, it, uh, it helped a lot. But anyway, in the process, um, the last day, you know, I was there at the hospital. And like I say, hospital had been a lot of our program, or a lot of our life, rather. And uh, he, uh, you know, when the doctor said, you know, he probably is going to have a rough weekend. He probably won't live through the weekend. You know, uh, shoot, I'd gone back and forth a lot. You know, he'd always been there. He'd always been alive when I got there. But anyway, I left Friday night, and I went home. And... Uh, I asked him if he wanted me to call a priest, and he'd already done all the things that he needed to do on that level. I need to back up just a minute. During those four months he was back east, uh, he reacquainted himself with his son. He reacquainted himself with his daughter and his family. See, um, he had a father who had been in AA for 25 years at this time he was dead. He had a brother who's been sober for a long, long time. Anyway, um, he made those contacts, and he... uh, Made some, mended some bridges that he needed to mend, you know. Uh, he made a certain amount of peace with God and the church that he had had at that point in time. You know, it was real interesting um, to show me how innocent I was. His son was telling me that uh, when he didn't have enough money to drink, he'd go play cards. And this is a man who could barely get around. He'd play cards for quarters so he'd have enough money to buy liquor. You know, if that's not a disease, I don't know what is. And so, um, anyway, my disease was him. You know, I was not able to let go. I was not able to detach. Anyway, when I called and I got a hold, I was not able to get a hold of anyone. And by the time um, this person called back, he, uh, Jack had died. And he said, uh, well, if you want me to do anything, you know, talk, call me or something. And at the time I said, you know, I, uh, I don't need anything. It's all done. You know, heck, I didn't have a clue. You guys, I had never lost anybody close in my life. I'd lost grandparents, and my mother did such a nice job of protecting me. She let me know after he'd been died and buried that he was dead, you know. But uh, anyway, this man was dead, and I got up the next morning, and a friend said she'd gone, she'd go with me to the funeral home, you know, and uh, I thought, shoot, I don't need her. I can do that. And it got to be time, and I needed her, you know. And this clergy was a recovering alcoholic. And uh, you know, um, I don't know when it happened. You know, it's like a lot of things. Uh, during that time period and the time that followed, all of a sudden I knew there was a God. And I knew that he was a loving God and that it was going to be okay. You know, um, can't think where I was going with that.
Um, the thing I had feared most in my life happened. I had lived for years in fear that this man was going to die of alcoholism. And he died of alcoholism. But at the point that it happened, I'd been going to Al-Anon for a long time. I had a lot of people who really knew me. And um, so it was okay. I had people that loved me, people that understood. You know, um, when we had the service, we've had just a small service for him. There were primarily friends of mine there, and they were all people in Al-Anon and AA. Uh, some people I worked with came too, and that was really nice. But you know, at that point in time, uh, my ex-husband had no one. No one was left. No one was there. No one was there for him. His son was not even able to come up and help scatter the ashes. You know? Um, anyway, I think... Um, Going back through the steps for me, like I say, I'd been through them a lot of times. I wanted them to work. If you could do it by studying them, you'd have, I'd have been there. And um, I was powerless. You know, I was powerless over alcoholism and my life was unmanageable. You know, I didn't know then. I kept thinking there's something I can say to make a difference. And uh, the unmanageability, I think I felt that more this last year than I ever have in my life, but I didn't know it then, you know. Um, came to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. Shoot. You know, I knew there was a God. But uh, I was just afraid of what that God was going to do and what he'd want. You know, he was not a part of me. You know, I'd seen my dad suffer a lot, and I'd seen him try real hard to find God. And he'd read books, and he'd do all the things he needed to do, you know, or thought he needed to do. And... Uh, he finally did. He found some peace. But uh, I couldn't make God happen in my life. I'm very, very thankful that I kept coming until God did happen in my life. And that's why I think it's so important today to um, keep coming until the miracles happen or while they happen. You know, keep showing up. Anyway, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care to God. Guy, I love that one today. You know, back then when I was working so hard to get the program, people would say, hey, lay off, don't work so hard, let it get you, you know. But shoot, that's the only thing I know how to do. It's like painting my kitchen until it's done, I'm not okay, you know. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You don't get done, guys. It's a process. Anyway, um, I love that today. Whenever I'm in trouble, I remember that that's the decision I made, and so I'm going to work my best toward that end. That to me today means that um, I'm going to work the rest of the steps. I'm going to need, do what I need to do to get better on a spiritual level. Um, the fourth and fifth step, I really, really love those steps. You know, I don't have a lot of basis in reality in my life even today. I'm better than I was, but I've got a ways to go. But, um, you know, I have a lot of turmoil before I sit down and use, put pen to hand. But once I start writing, I just love it. I love to be able to list the things that are causing me problems, put them in columns, and then find out where the problem is and know... That by doing that, then God removes it. God removes it in his time. I need to be able to share it with someone else because, um, like I say, I don't know where reality is. I don't know how good or how bad it is. You know, I don't know if it's a problem. I don't know if it's in my mind. You know, I don't know where the reality is. And that's where I need another person. Um, the sixth and seventh step, you know, that... Uh, I don't have to remove my defects, you know, that um, I do the best I can in my life and God chooses the ones to remove. 
You know, how it all fits together. You know, I did this program for so long and I never knew how it all fit together. It was all separate. I've been around for a long time, you guys, and it's starting to fit together. You know, uh, we all come from different places. And it takes different lengths for each of us. You know, and I'd go to meetings and they'd use a word like detachment and I'd say, exactly what does that mean? Tell me how that works. Give me an example. It didn't have any meaning to me. You know, it just... Um, a lot of that, you know, I don't understand a lot of things. I know what I've been doing forever, but I don't understand a lot of things. Anyway, um, the eighth and ninth step, you know, um, being able to make amends. And a lot of the things that I'd done in my life um, had been to cut people out. You know, it's real interesting today, uh, I've maintained a friendship over long distance. I never did that. I just left. You know, I've never gone back to a high school reunion, you know. I just, I moved, so we move on. You know, I don't keep relationships. Long-term relationships are hard things for me, you guys. I don't know how to maintain past a certain point, you know. You get past this far and it's too intimate, you know. <laughs> so I'm learning to do that today, you know. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I didn't have any real heavy amends, you know. Um, sometimes we read in this program that you can do a tremendous amount of damage with kindness. And, you know, that's where a lot of my damage was. And I learned in this program that, uh, I forget, I must not have learned it. It'll come back if I'm supposed to learn it, won't it? Um, one of the amends that I got to make was one of the first people I'd lived with on my own. And this was kind of a fun one, you know. I didn't have a lot of exciting ones. They were all kind of normal. And um, I, the first roommate I'd had when I was out on my own, I had... Uh, needed to make amends to that person. I didn't know how to get a hold of her. And I was able to make that contact. And, you know, in fact, I called the number I was given, and there she was, and it was okay. You know, this program is a design for living. It lets me deal with everything that happens in my life. Um, the tenth step, you know, um, I'm thinking that that's one that I really need to get back into today. I'll let that one slide. It's real hard for me on a daily basis to keep myself current. But, boy, I think it's worth it today. I really want to be able to do that better than I am. The contact with God, like I say, this last year, my life is really full today, you know. Uh, everything in it is really good. You know, what else can a person ask for? I've got just, I've gotten so much. You know, um, to be able to remodel a house, to be able to work on it, you know. Um, I'm growing up. I'm probably doing things a lot of people did when they were 20 years younger than I am today. You know, it's a lot of fun. But, you know, I've had to do a lot of these things through a lot of tears. When we bought this house a year and a half ago, I cried a lot. You guys, the biggest thing I'd ever owned is a one-room condominium. And all of a sudden, I'm buying a house that needs redone all the way through it. And I cried a lot. And we had a lot of people in this program that held my hand and walked me through it. And you know what? I wasn't sure God knew what he was doing. This was costing me an awful lot of time and energy and money. What do you think? What are you doing, God? Did we make a mistake? Were we not listening? And uh, it's a beautiful home today. You know, um, we really like it. I really like it. Um, you know, the 12th step. Ah, uh, gosh. You know, this program told me what to do. It said when I was in misery, a lot of times I needed to go to a meeting early and talk to a newcomer. You know, and uh, the longer I'm around, sometimes I get a little lax at that. You know, go early and get out of me. Do something for somebody else. Um, I grew up in the service area of this. You know, uh, I could never have talked in front of a group. When I first came to meetings, I would, uh, I didn't talk. 
you know, you guys said all kinds of really nice things, and I didn't have any really nice things to say. You know, my life was a mess. I didn't believe in this God that people talked about. You know, there was just a tremendous amount of fear in my life. And uh, so I sat there, and you let me sit there. I didn't want to read at meetings, and that was okay, too. I did that for a long time. And uh, you kept me coming back. You kept me coming back by letting me be active. You know, I was given simple jobs to begin with, and you know what? I could do them. And it kept me coming. I didn't stay home and watch the movie because I needed to go and do something for somebody else. Gosh, that's important to me today. It's still important to me today. Um, being part of some of the social things that we do here, you know. Um, being able to talk up here, you know. Um, being able to help organize and help work on things, work with other people, you know, uh, just help me grow up. You know, I can entertain in my home today. I can entertain in my home today because I learned how to here. You know, I, uh, this has been my home. This has been my second family. This has been the family that taught me how to do things. You know, um, I, um, I do have a God in my life today. I have, um, you know, like I say, this last year, I think my relationship with him slipped a little bit, and I know how easy that is. You know, um, it was real easy to get stale because things were going real smooth. When they go real smooth, you know, it's real easy for me to jump in because I don't want to lose what I have, guys. God might want something different. I don't want to change right now. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to um, meet a gentleman in this program. You know, and I had in my mind the idea that I really did. I wanted to be involved with someone in this program because I wanted to be able to work this with someone. And um, it's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful experience. You know, um, we've grown through a lot. You know, we've uh, we've been able to work out a lot. You know, talk about seeing miracles. You know, every Friday night, or we'd have an argument. Because we were both tired, you know, and we all could see it coming, and so, but, you know, that we didn't know how to get out of it. And, you know, um, we don't do that so much anymore. Once in a while we do. Um, we both push real hard. I push real hard, and I get exhausted. And I know, I know that uh, the answer is in following the things in this program, you know, taking this program home. Love and tolerance in my daily life, you know, love and tolerance with my spouse. Um, one of the things I didn't have to give up until the last couple of years was my job. You know, I was managing it really well without anyone's help. The last few years I've had to turn that over. You know, just um, the tremendous number of solutions, like they say, the design for living. You know, um, my husband has a lot of kids. And um, you know what? I know how their lives are supposed to be. And so uh, one of the things I've got to learn, I have learned to do, is to uh, have him go in the other room when he answers the telephone. Because you know what? I have big ears. And I also have a mouth that doesn't quit, you know? It's real hard for me when I know something not to share it with you. And, <laughs> so, you know, we've learned to do that, you know? And sometimes I just want to ask, 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 and I'm learning not to. I'm learning to let him share when he wants to or if he wants to, you know. Um, letting him live his own life, you know. Uh, we've learned how to do a lot of things. You know, I don't balance a checkbook, so we decided he gets to take care of the balancing of the checkbook. You know, that works for us, yeah. We found out we couldn't do some things together, you know. So we've learned that some of those things we can pay someone else to do, but you know what? You can't pay someone else to do everything. 
So we had to come to some agreements on some of these things, you know. Um, it's just, I'm really glad to be here. I'm really glad that you are all here, and uh, thank you. <laughs>